Cradleine Network. I am the law, and this is the 23rd episode of Big Bad One. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Eli. It's the podcast for two Americans patrol their way through the Judge Dredd magazine. This episode, we're talking about the Judge Dredd magazine, volume 2, issues 11 and 12, cover dates September 18th and October 3rd, 1992. This episode, Dread quells a sector, the whiskey flows in Calhab, we're on the case with Armitage, and... We'll check in with Judges Anderson and Hershey, and then there's a new cop on the beat, Mechanismo. <laughs> and if you would already long with us from the comics we're covering today, and Judge Dredd, the complete case, files 17, Judge Anderson, the side files 5, and the Judge Dredd magazine issues 289, 290, and 352. All right. How you doing, Eli? I'm doing great. All right. Ready for some more future law enforcement action always ready oh yeah all right let's get started with story one the taking of sector one two three script robot garth ennis art robot carlos escara letting robot tom frame all right eli we're picking this one up from last episode after the events of Judgment Day, Mega City 1 Sector 123 is an open revolt led by Jimmy the Brit of the Vinnie Jones block. In his classic style, though, Dredd's entering the sector on his own, his only backup, a heavily armed H-Wagon called Gunbird 1, and the sniper Judge Hart in a raised position. The Gunbird's blowing up rebels as Dredd rolls through. Honestly, it's pretty good backup, because it's just like <laughs> shooting missiles at everybody right. and stuff like that, you know? Right. Perfect defense. <laughs> Yeah, it's fine. Back at Vinnie Jones, uh, Jimmy the Brit isn't worried about Dredd because he's just one man and uh, Jimmy's got an army, including Misery Jones and the Goth Squad as his bodyguards over the secret objections of Misery Jones, who knows that he's in over his head and that this isn't going to end well. <laughs> On the street, Dredd's taken out perps with his lawgiver pistol and bike cannon and manages to get to uh, grab a Vinnie Joneser to make him give up the details of the plan. He calls out bomb disposal units to a bunch of blocks in the city, including the uh, Jackson 5 development. Does bomb squad tech show up? These bombs look complicated. <laughs> Dredd's moving closer to Vinnie Jones, which is heavily fortified, and has even got air-to-ground missiles. One streaks up at Gunbird 1, and they're hit. A surviving crewman ejects, and another, heavily injured, flies the hover plane into the rooftop defenses, seemingly destroying them. Dredd checks in with Judge Hart, and she's waiting to take the shot against Jimmy the Brit, but hasn't seen him yet, like sort of through his apartment window, I guess? Yeah, it looks like it. Yeah. Dredd goes to flush him out and checks in with Judge Columbus, who's the commander of Sector 123, and figures out and learns what's going on with the bomb squads. They've got all but one one device set in the Latoya Jackson block. And listen, Eli, Latoya wasn't in the Jackson Five, all right? She was in the Jacksons, mm. the band that had that had all the Jackson kids in it, but she was not in the Jackson Five, okay? Oh. Although. 
1992, she is like she has somehow become the most or I forget exactly what the timeline is, but she'd been at least recently and in infamous. She was on like a psych on a psychic hot. She had, mm. she had her own psychic hotline and she was in Playboy and a couple other things. <laughs> All right. You know, just this this Jackson drama. A lot of drama actually happening around this comic is what I'm right. Or this episode, um, when you kind of take a gander at it. Right. Anyway, the tech thinks the bomb is the uh, the bomb is disarmed, but then it explodes. The block crumbles as Dread arrives in Vinnie Jones. It starts punching out these goths, Eli. Oh, it's exciting <laughs> times. Jimmy the Brit appears in Hart's crosshair, but her shot just misses, killing Misery Jones. Oh, no. Uh, Jimmy then goes to attack Dread. But listen, like, he's just like one, some weird dude who thinks that he's an English guy. Right. He's no match for Judge Dread. So Dread just kind of shoots him through the chest so hard that he goes flying out the <laughs> side of a window and falls many, many stories to the street and dies. <laughs> And with him dead, the rebellion soon falls, crumbles in disarray, and we learned that this whole situation took like 15 minutes, basically. Right. <laughs> Which is pretty crazy. Easy peasy. Yeah. Judge Columbus tries to pull out an easy as one, two, three, but Dredd tells him not to quit his day job. It's pretty fine stuff. Yeah. Fine. I'm always... You know, it, it it happens a fair amount of the time, Eli, these like one man army dread stories, right. you know. He is a lot of man. He's like at least yeah. just him is like five men. So that's Yeah, I mean I mean he's quite wide. You know, he's got a jaw he's certainly got a jaw for two. Right. You know Exactly. But there's also just a lot of these situations like I feel like it's almost the classic dread situation where the criminals, some criminals have taken over part of the city and they could send a squad of judges to take them all out. But Dredd's like, no, right. all go alone and be a badass. Right, you exactly. Know? How am I going to flex these badass muscles if freaking I got backup? Yeah, come on. You know, and plus, it's good to exercise those badass muscles against just regular perps. Right. So you've got them t nicely toned for when, you know, there's apocalypse things or zombies or... Right, judge deaths or whatever. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I was also you don't want to you don't want to be sitting idly by and then have to use them. Right, you know? exactly. You'll, you'll get a cramp. Get, get, get a cramp. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, I was curious. Uh, I know when I was reading this chapter, I was thinking of Al's baby the whole time and wondering where Al was. Is that a common feeling? Like when you when artists are kind of showing up on these different times and these different places, I always I mean, revert to the first yeah. time I saw them. I mean, I think that's definitely true. I think it's easy to get associations with artists based on when you've seen them before. I think it's kind of funny that that now you know Escara, this artist Carlos Escara as the uh, as the Owl's Baby artist, I guess, <laughs> because he's such a uh, he's like an essential Dread artist as well. Right. Like he's actually he co-created Dread and sort of has done a lot, especially in the area we're in now to define sort of the modern look of Dread and right. stuff. Yeah, but yeah, that that is funny. Yeah. And Owl's Baby on his way as well. Owl's well, <laughs> Baby too. Perfect. I mean, we're seeing ads for it now, actually, in the in, oh, yeah, in the yeah. pages of, of the comic. Yeah, that's no, a lot of fun. And it's like, um, I think Al's Baby just touched my heart the most, which I think why it always comes back to it. Because I know I've seen this artist before, Al's Baby. But since Al's Baby, yeah. it's like, oh, yeah, that's 
that that's home. Yeah, I mean, he did that Armageddon story here in the magazine and stuff like that too. And I think we'll get some more mm-hmm. Escara things here in the magazine as well. You know, yeah. he's a good artist, wh- worthy of appreciation mm. for sure. <laughs> um, but I guess, listen, all right, I don't have a good transition. Eli. It's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> Speaking of appreciation. Carlos Escara, <laughs> an artist famous for his mustache. No, um, or you associate um, Carlos Escara with Al's baby, which is about a kid who's having a happy time killing people and stuff. I associate <laughs> artist John Ridgway with drawing pictures of terrifying children, of, of terrified children. Mm-hmm. And he's the artist for Story 2, Cal Hab Justice. Nice. I'll give that an eight. Hey, do my best. Right. Script robot Jim Alexander, art robot John Ridgway, letting robot Gordon Robson. Sorry, you were you gonna say something there, Eli? No, that was it. <laughs> you you okay. did it. You nailed it. Hey, listen, I gotta get through somehow, you know. <laughs> so, Eli, we're back in future Scotland, aka Calhab, and we start off by learning about Calhab whiskey, also called the Spirit of the Moors, and it's just. It's just chock block full of plutonium. It's being it's mashed with radioactive barley. It's super radioactive, you know. Definitely it, stuff you to don't the point want where, in your body. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Listen, all of its ingredients have their own half lives, and when you drink it, it halves your life. Oh, oh, oh wow! That's I mean that's the joke they make in the comic right. too. So I can't. Right now. I can't take responsibility <laughs> for my. For these these jokes, but you got to be careful because it will. You drink this booze and it will kill you. You know, it's a whole thing. <laughs> anyway, Judge Ed McBrain is headed through the radioactive uh, highlands of Calhab with Judge Murdo and Judge Shallion, who is a side judge and is scanning for the lost spirits, the dead of the, the dead ghosts of this area. And they, he says that they're all hungry for death, which isn't a good sign. Soon they arrive at the armored vehicle of Clan Abercrombie and are met by their chief, Chief Banger. And they're going to head through the mists together to go to the stately mans of the Campbell clan with the Abercrombies leading the way. It's very Game of Thrones here with all these clans and stuff like that. Um, it's a dangerous path, though, Eli. We see one dude whose name is McCoist trip and falls down the side of a mountain path and lands in a ravine full of giant Venus flytraps. Oh, no. Banger jumps down to save him, but it's no good. That guy gets dissolved inside the fronds of the yeah. fly trap, I guess. Yeah, tough way to go. Seriously, Scottish dude trap. It's bad times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Back at Calhab HQ, Chief Inspector Bryson talks to a administrative judge or something from Britsit. He's the... Britsit judge complains about the rising levels of contraband and worrying about the whiskey clans uniting and stuff like that. He threatens Bryson by mentioning Gib Rock. And we then basically see a flashback about how um, the a rioting population on the British colony on the Rock of Gibraltar, sort of that, which is a landmass sort of in between southern spain and northern africa eli it's a real place but maybe doesn't have and i believe has a british colony but 
that one has not been nuked yet the way that the one in Calhab has <laughs> the right. story has been. Basically, Calhab is not above just cutting its losses when a native population gets too out of control. Like they'll just they'll just nuke you and move on. They don't care. Be careful. <laughs> so the Abercrombies and judges arrive at Clan Campbell, where they're greeted and given a chance to freshen up. The judges do so when it gives Shallion a chance to give us more backstory. I guess it was a big divide between first the city-dwelling Calhabers and those up in the highlands, especially as the dodgy jumping, the dodgy dumping of nuclear waste all over Scotland led to tartan trauma. I don't know. That's what it says. Um, right. And that led a bunch of uh, of uh, folks here in the Highlands to form a whiskey clan, making those spirits from the nuclear-charged soil and crops. Until one day, that clan split over two brothers that had married the same woman and them having an argument over what to name their firstborn child. And listen, this is something like – I'm not a parent, Eli. I don't know exactly how this stuff works, but – Part of why you've got nine months before that kid is born is to work this kind of stuff out. Right. You know, so you don't, you don't come to blows about it. It just shows a lack of time management. You know, it's just. Yeah. Like, these are these are the dice you cast when the two of you married the same woman. Right, exactly. You know, like, you, it wasn't a shock to you at the time. Right. Is all I'm trying to say. <laughs> anyway, um... Now, the clans have been uh, feuding ever since, and for a long time, the judges have looked away from this foolishness, but now... Well, anyway, the expedition is interrupted as McBrain's armor is delivered. He puts it on and says he plans to take part in the banquet jousting. After all, looks good in shoulder pads. (laughs) Deep in the castle, Chief Banger presses a stone in a wall and opens a secret door, which leads to... A plinth containing that stone of destiny that we saw stolen last episode. The chief of the Campbells come and the two of them gaze at the stone. And the two of them promise to put their differences aside and unite to fight for Calhab independence. Good times. Like this brotherly unity, Eli. Very important. (laughs) At the banquet, McBrain and one of these clan dudes have a pretty fun sword fight. Ending with McBrain. McBrain grabbing his opponent's beard and cutting it off his chin with his retractable claymore. All right. (laughs) Good sword fighting. The clan members dance and celebrate as it becomes clear they aren't drinking cold tea, as they've mentioned, but in fact, the spirit of the moors. Chief Banger's drunk enough to be dragged to bed as the judges marvel that I guess these clan members have an immunity to the deadly side effects of the radioactive brew. Which is good. Handy. You know, that's how it works. (laughs) That night, Banger wakes to find Chief Archie sitting on his bed. That's the chief of the Campbell clan with the kid whose parentage or naming rights, I guess, started the feud. Archie then stabs Banger and has his men go kill Banger's bodyguard and bring him McBrain, who we see just waking up with his hairy old chest. Oh, Oh, man. He's a man's man. (laughs) Next time on Calhab Justice, McBrain, McBrained? We'll find out. (laughs) Just a lot of intrigue, little bit of sword fighting. It's funny because... This area we're in here, Calhab, we've never seen before at all. Like, I think they've mentioned Calhab Justice or Calhab in the past, like in passing, I guess, as maybe like a 
like a rule of threes joke in Judge Dredd where yeah. you're kind of like you name two places you haven't heard of and then the one place that they're going to like oh like I'm headed to Mega City like we've searched all over like uh, Calhab Hondo and uh, Mega City 2 mm. you know oh, we found them there that 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 kind of thing right. mm. but now we're actually seeing it so they've got to kind of establish a bunch of this stuff you know why does everybody why is everybody back to wearing plaid? What's up with these? Why are there these clans in an otherwise sci-fi setting? Right. Things like that. And I think they're doing a pretty a pretty fun job, I guess. Absolutely agree. Yeah, the weird uh, little things I feel like really make the world, uh, mm-hmm. make it feel more realistic. If everything just made sense, then, you know, <laughs> where's the reality? Right. Right. Maybe realistic, like, in terms of things like hanging together and, and feeling real, mm. as opposed to, like, I don't know, being plausible in, like, oh, yeah, giant fly traps. That's, that's fine, right, you know. Right. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, yeah, I, I, I think it's fun. And I, and I, and I kind of like having a black and white comic in here, too, actually. That's yeah. sort of – these are the comics of, of early 2000 AD, and I find it to be very nostalgic and kind of fun, yeah. just this sort of line work I, here. I'm a big fan seeing what they can do without color. Uh, I'm always fascinated by that. Um, big mm-hmm. uh, areas of black and using cross-hatching and line work. I really appreciate yeah, there's so much just with all the. I think next ep- next episode especially, we're just going to see so much like tartan and plaid uh, designs and stuff like that. It's really, it's really interesting one to see um, in, in this black and white art for sure. Yeah. But now let's uh, let's head south just a little bit, Eli, from Calhab to Britsit and get to story three, Armitage. Script robot Dave Stone, art robot Charlie Adlard, letting robot Annie Parkhouse. So, Judge rookie Judge Treasure Steele is on the phone with her husband Terry, having a fight because she's working late. And you might remember the first our Armitage story. Uh, Armitage gave their relationship six months <laughs> before they'd break up because of the job here. She heads what? back to the scene of the crime. This big plant-filled room in a fancy golden penthouse where Armitage is arguing with that blue-haired senior judge that we also saw last story, uh, Warner. Warner says um, that it was obviously a lone psycho that killed everybody here, and Armitage says that, like, there's a bunch of... There's too many dead people for one person to have done it. That's ridiculous. Um, and so many of them are rich and are, are rich and or powerful that it had to be a professional hit one way or another. And Warder says the fact that everybody is so rich and powerful means that they have to be more discreet. You can't just go barging down the doors of the great and the good, you know, because you're a big cop on the edge or whatever, because you're <laughs> armitaging about, you know. Right. <laughs> um Anyway, Warner stalks off and Armitage and Steel start investigating. They find some engineered quiche, I guess, which seems like a Euro-sit party drug kind of thing, um, scattered around the bloody scene. And then the two detectives are met by Mary, this uh, badass coroner who we saw last story as well. And she's been working on these bodies and, like, checking them for causes of death and stuff as she takes bites from her kebab with blood-covered hands and stuff. Just doesn't seem sanitary, but that's how cool she is. Does it all in big black uh, big black sunglasses and right. stuff as well. Yeah, she loves her job. You can tell. <laughs> Absolutely. Definitely. Um, there's one um, – 
There's one thing that um, she wants to show the investigators. She takes them to a bloody dead woman on a blood-covered bed with built-in manacles. There, She says there was a second body on this bed, but it's been taken someplace, and that's mysterious. Speaking of, elsewhere in some tunnels, a pair of weird goblin-type dudes, like they're kind of tan-colored instead of green, but otherwise I would describe them as goblin-y, mm-hmm. are... Because they're just sort of small and they talk weird. And mm-hmm. I don't know. Dealing with corpses. They're dragging the body of an overweight man in boxers and a fishnet sh- uh, shirt with a manacle on one wrist and three bloody wounds in his chest through like an air duct or something. The body, they say, is still warm and they're taking him to the master. Big, big creator. So I guess we'll see what's going on with that soon enough. Yeah. So – we're continuing with, um, like, the narration of this story goes from Treasure Steel's journal as we see um, her and Armitage go out to do some investigation. They want to find the missing body, but they'll, they can't really do that till, they, uh, till Mary finishes up the blood work of everybody involved. In the meantime, though, they're going to spend the rest of the night figuring out the apartment's owner. You know, much the apparent chagrin of uh, of a Treasure Steel's husband, Terry. Like, they aren't going home. She, she's not getting home tonight. <laughs> so they go to Armitage's apartment, I guess. It's full of books and plants and some weirdly contemporary-looking computers. Like, he's got, like, two Mac desktops sort of pointed at each other on one desk, I guess, which I sort of imagined him typing at with one hand on each keyboard <laughs> and stuff. It's very... Right. Very TV, um, um, computer hacking kind of way, you know? Yeah. Um, but the other thing is that he's got a – is that Armitage has a big old spider AI hanging on top of his ceiling. It's like a big, big mass of like black cords and a, and a, and a purple eye that looks at people. It's named uh, Galatea and it registers steel as a grade two friendly. Huh. Armitage checks his mail and then go make some calls. He reaches Lisa Marsh, who was that blonde computer hacker slash woman of ill repute from the previous Armitage story. He asks about the owner of the apartment. And like, as he says it, she actually knows it without having to look anything up. It's Eiffel Dragonsan. Dragonsan? I don't know. But, or, uh, yeah. I think Sans. Or, or, or a Dragosan, I should say. Mm, yeah, uh, that sounds right. Anyway, she hangs up and we see she's wearing this sheer slip kind of thing and tell whoever's in bed with her that she needs to be alone. Armitage has uh, his computer, Taya, that's short for Galatea, uh, pull the file on Dragosan, who's apparently a criminal up to their neck and various illegal things, including engineered quiche as well as organ jacking and the snuff circuit, neither of which sound good, but no one can prove it. And going after him can kill your career as a cop. You know how it goes. And Armitage pulls out some type of super squint maneuver because that's how skeptical he is, how much he's on his case. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah, he doesn't trust nobody. <laughs> Undercover operations might be on to something, though. He's learned that, there's, that they have someone inside Drago's operation. And so Armitage and Steele go to make contact with that undercover agent at a like a huge landfill kind of thing. Like they get we see them getting coffee from like a coffee truck basically and then being out in this big wasteland. 
but they do instead of finding this agent they find the the agent's dead body instead wrapped in plastic with a note in like cut out letters like a ransom note or whatever just saying nice try pinned to the body oh no (laughs) armitage says drago didn't have to do this instead it's just a running joke or thing they have between the two of them but now drago is mine so we'll see i don't know right basically in classic cop on the edge uh um in classic cop on the edge manner eli armitage is now taking it personally <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna take this guy down because now it's important right anyway next time on armitage big casino yeah, very much in the sort of the setting things up phase of this story, I think. Right. Like sort of – like if, 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 if this is like the last story, then it's going to be very much these sort of – we're setting up a couple mysteries and then hopefully try to solve them as time goes by. You know, the, the dead guy, this body that those gremlin guys were uh, – gremlin slash goblin guys were carrying around. Yeah. That guy's pretty mysterious. Yeah, who was the blonde girl talking to in bed? Like – Exactly. Yeah, yeah and sort yeah, what's going on like with killing everybody at the party and stuff. You know, just a couple couple or and then what Armitage and, and this Drago guy have between each other as well. Just a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Um I'm trying to figure out if it's gonna be possible for me to come up with some theories before they reveal them or not. I feel like that's always a good sign. Yeah, I mean, it's tough because we kind of – since we read two at a time, it means that like – I feel like – I believe this story is like nine sto- like nine issues long mm. and we've just done the first three. Mm. So, we should be maybe one or two episodes away from the answers to start flowing in, right, I guess. Right. But it's good to keep an eye out for it. And I think, you know, like with the previous Armitage story, I feel like they did – like I I re- I remember giving the first Armitage story credit because they were pretty good at giving you enough information that you could figure it out just before like Armitage did, right. and that felt nice. Mm. So we'll see if they manage to keep that streak going, or if they're gonna keep some things close to the chest or whatever as time goes by. Right, those jerks. <laughs> I know what they're like. <laughs> Don't make excuses for me, Eli. <laughs> But speaking of people having fan theories and stuff, let's talk about co- um, Nod Stories, Covers, Editorials, and Dreadlines. Just all the non-story stuff from these two issues. Right. Starting with issue 11, Murder Most Foul, as Charlie Adlard draws Armitage and Treasure Steel looking quite surprised on this cover. They're very shocked. The editorial introduces the stories in this issue and talks a lot about an upcoming signing of various comics at, the, at a Virgin Megastore in London. And the credits text says, Armitage Shock Horror! Mid-issue, there's a little preview image for Owl's Baby 2 showing the uh, baby uh, Owl's uh, toddler-aged kid, I guess, clubbing poor Sal while wearing a junior hitman onesie. Be nice to Sal, that's right. what I say. right. It's good. Later in the issue, there's an interview with Dread Maestro John Wagner. He talks about the nature of Dread, and there's also a biography of how he came to work in comics, which is kind of interesting. He says his fa- his favorite Dread stories are in- or include, I should say, the Midnight Surfer and just pretty much anything with the Angel Gang, as well as Young Death and America. I know he like the the one thing I really know about John Wagner, Eli, is that he really thinks like super exaggerated like 
American, Southern, and like Western accents are hilarious. <laughs> like either a big drawl or what I'd call like a pr- like frontier gibberish. Mm. Like okie go, let's go them thar hills. That kind of <laughs> that kind of stuff. It is pretty hilarious. He loves it. He loves it. it listen, it is funny. I'm not. I, I would not disagree with that for sure. <laughs> Um, they're also continuing showing us this, uh, or giving us pages of this Judge Dredd 1993 calendar. We get pages for March, April, September, and October. There's pictures featuring a very buff Judge Anderson, a preview of the taxidermist story, which we won't see till next September, actually. Um, and then pictures of Dredd and Armitage. In Dreadlines, writers have a mix of opinions about the artist Chris Hall from Issue 7, who was working on Judgment Day. Uh, They ask for new artists, as well as complimenting artist Colin McNeil, who will be seen later this episode. There's more discussion about minorities in comics, as well as compliments for Devlin Waugh and requests for more Britsit in general. And the issue ends with an ad for both the UK Batman comic and for some more anime videos, this time Tank Police Acts 3 and 4, which has Catgirls, which I'm sure were a revelation if you were like a British kid in 1992 and had never seen that kind of thing before. Whoa. I don't know what I'm feeling. Girls can be cats. Cats can be girls. I can't handle it. How can this be? That kind of stuff. (laughs) What a time to be alive, Eli. That's what I say. Now we got people of all genders and all animals. It's a crazy crazy town. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter. (laughs) Issue 12, Trial by Machine is here. Colin McNeil draws the arrival of Mechanismo, the robot judge. The editorial here links the Mechanismo story with other John Wagner, Colin McNeil team-ups like Song of the Surfer and America. It's two top stories. There's also a list of winners from a contest in issue four of volume two. And the credit text says, man or Mechanismo? Mid-issue, there's another Al's Baby teaser. This one with father and son kind of sharing a little moment that's related to Al's uh, fedora hat. There's also more calendar pages for May, June, July, and August with pictures of Mean Machine, Calhab Justice, Judge Hershey, and Al's Baby. They tease uh, the Son of Mean Machine story there, Eli, saying it'll have art by Chris Halls, but it actually won't be out till 1994, and then it'll have art by Carl Critchlow. So, you know, sort of some difficulties in getting some of these stories to market, I guess. Nice. And I, I would have existed by then. I I'm uh be four years old. Hey, yeah, it's an exciting time. We're all we're all uh uh uh, uh coming to life right. in the course of the, of these mag. Like it's it's I I think it's funny because you know in these ones as these ones are coming out, I'm I'm eleven, I guess, in mm. 1992, and so for these for for all these episodes, I always um use like the number one. Um, like the number one song in the music charts for like the intro music to the episode. Um, cool. for the for Big Meg one, I use the uh, the American alternative charts. And <laughs> when I started doing like like a Space Spinner two thousand, it was in like the late seventies. So it was all this like disco and stuff like that, and like things that I didn't really know that very. I I maybe something I'd heard at, like a party or something like like YMCA or something like that. But otherwise, a lot of songs I didn't really know. But now we're getting to these all these songs that I really remember very vividly from my youth, and it's 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 kind of fun, <laughs> you know. It's like That's I really remember cool. this, like <laughs> kind of nostalgia. I, you know, I remember. 
I listen to these songs on the radio. If you can imagine such a time, things like that. Right. It's yeah, it's good. fun, and it and it's and it's fun as these years go by, and just recognizing more, being able to recognize pop culture things as well has been sort of a fun, like I don't know, evolution right. of how I'm reading the comic. I guess yeah. I think that's pretty cool. Too. I think that's cool too. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's it is funny just with these how these comics can capture moments or just be sort of both eternal, but also very uh, like specifically in their own time and place. I guess I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, in Dreadlines, there's letters. Um, there's one letter that has criticism for a bunch of artists and also says that, uh, like, accuses Devlin Waugh of being heavily based on um, singer Freddie Mercury, who, listen, hmm. just because Devlin Waugh is gay and has a mustache doesn't mean he's based on <laughs> Freddie Mercury. <laughs> Right. But I guess that that's sort of an accusatory thing because, you know, Freddie Mercury died towards the end of 1991. And so it could be seen as like, oh, you're trying to like uh, create a character to profit off of, um, you know, this this art, this beloved artist who's passed away or something. They're like, no, we were planning it way before. Like, you know, I'll have you know, Devlin was based on a couple of entirely different dead, dead homosexual celebrities. Thank you very much. Right. (laughs) Right. You know, whatever. (laughs) How dare they? Yeah. How dare you? I say good day. Another letter asks for more Devlin Waugh and sends compliments from South Africa. There's some criticisms about the treatment of Judge Joyce and Murphyville, which I think is 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 fair. Like, you know, Johnny Alpha could have beaten up anybody and stolen their power armor, but you gotta do it to Judge Joyce, who's also this kind of walking Irish stereotype. It's the whole thing. <laughs> right. Um what, another letter uh, asks why female judges never wear helmets and are always leggy and stuff. <laughs> Though it does, um, it does also say, "Hey, at the very least, you're drawing them to not have high-heeled boots um, when they're enforcing mm. the law and stuff." Which, like, I you guess, know, yeah, you take, it's your not vic- a, you- take your victories where you can, I guess. Yeah, you know, I mean, and listen. I myself would be a fool to say that no one ever draws Judge Anderson with high-heeled boots. It happens right. for sure, you know. <laughs> right. But um, you know, it's not it's not the default way to do it. You shouldn't be if you're drawing Judge Anderson or Judge Hershey. You shouldn't be drawing their boots as high heels. That's what I'm trying to say. They got regular right. boots. Right. Their gams just look like that because of uh, evolution or something. I don't know. Don't worry <laughs> about it too much. Um. <laughs> And this, yeah, then letters, just some more complimentary letters, and then the letters page ends with something I think we've seen before, which is just a special announcement by the editor, by editor Dave Bishop, to please not send any more unsolicited submissions. We don't need you. We don't need your work. Just keep it to yourself. It's fine. Publish mm-hmm. it on your own or something. I don't know. Don't send it here. <laughs> I think it's pretty funny. Yeah, just a bunch of people trying to, uh, yeah. Get in, yeah. No, get their, I, get their stuff set in the old-fashioned way. Right. You know? I relate because I I'm trying to do that with a couple places too. So I I totally get it. Definitely, <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, maybe not now, but I know in previous years, 2008 has actually had some open submissions periods, which is sort of hmm. where you're supposed to submit a uh, a future shock. So not like a dread story, but a story that's like a one-off, like kind of sci-fi mm. story, basically. That's cool. Yeah. yeah, it's an interesting thing. Yes. It's, you know, I, I, and I, I, I definitely know there's some people that have actually gotten their stuff published through mm. that um, nice. avenue. Yeah, we got to start working on ours. We're going to get on it. Listen, yeah, absolutely. I got 
I got some ideas, but I got to I got to churn them to become more right. solidified. Definitely. Right. Yes. <laughs> but hey, speaking of um of finding inspiration for stories where you can, Eli, mm. let's go to story four, Anderson Side Vision. Script robot Alan Grant, art robot Siku, letting robot Annie Parkhouse. It's the first time we're seeing art by Suki by Siku here, the pseudonym of uh, Abajayo Akin Siku, who is a British Nigerian artist. He's got a really distinctive style that I like a lot, though I think he's still solidifying it right now in like late '92. But I think in a year or two he'll be really doing his thing, and I think he's a really great artist. He'll also, um, yeah, he'll, he'll do a ton of stuff here in the magazine and in 2000 AD. Also, outside of that, he's done a, uh, a manga version of the Bible as well, which I think looks pretty neat. Oh, that's exciting. Got to yeah. check that out. So, the, yeah, it's, it's called the Manga Bible. You know, live it up. Um, <laughs> this story, though, is ripped from the headlines when you consider that this comic is probably coming, that the comic reading in issue 11 is coming out in early September 1992. Citizen uh, Rooney Ding gets pulled over by Judge Goon after a brief car chase, and the judge proceeds to, bre- to beat him pretty brutally with his day stick. <laughs> a crowd forms around them, calling Goon a bully and stuff, until Anderson steps in and tries to stop the judge. Goon keeps hitting Ding until Anderson pulls her lawgiver and relieves Goon of duty, pending a review by a duty adjudicator. The crowd wants street justice, but Anderson mm-hmm. shoots a few warning shots. They have to follow the law, and they promise, and she promises that Judge Goon will pay for his transgressions. At Justice Central, a crowd of protesters has formed outside, demanding justice for Ding. The adjudicator, a Judge Kane, I think, just looking at his badge, um, hears Anderson's accusations of excessive force and Goon's defense. Um, there was a there's a little detail here with Goon saying that he thought that Rudy Ding was going for for a weapon when he was actually going for his ID to show the judge. Goon says he was following the rules as Anderson warns that his actions could have caused a riot and based on the folks standing outside Justice Central, it still could. The judges then sort of start arguing about whether or not bullying is part of being a judge, whether they should be respected or feared. Goon calls Anderson a liberal. She calls him a moron. And in the end, Judge Kane steps in. He says, as a sigh, Anderson's supposed to be sensitive. And he understands that. But in the end, Goon was acting within the law. And listen, it's Mega City One. The judges aren't oppressive, like, you know, fascist regime or whatever. This is what they do. You know, come on. Right. (laughs) The case is closed and citizens are ordered to disperse. And when they learn that Goon's just going back on active duty, they start throwing bottles and so on. It's a full-scale riot. Goon calls out the riot squad and ease, and teases Anderson about whether she wants to join in on the fun of beating up and arresting all these citizens. As fires burn and bones are broken, Anderson, standing off to the side, um, finishes the story asking, whose side is she on between the people and the judges? They got oddly deep and, in know, there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, I, I mean, this is... Be- because the character the, uh, the the character that was beaten is named Rooney Ding, this is obviously a reference to the uh, to the Rodney King um, yeah. 
a, a situation or trial, I guess. A, a, a motorist in Los Angeles who was beaten up on video by some LAPD officers. And then um, this is in like late 1991. And then there was a big trial about um, about um, uh, accusing them of police brutality. And they were um, let off and, and they were found innocent, which led to a big right. – to a series of riots across the United States in, uh, in April 1992. That's why I said this kind of uh, fast turnaround because five months or I guess um, – from April to September, that's like four months basically mm-hmm. between sort of there being riots for Rodney King and then um, having it be here in the in the, in the, in the magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an interesting situation. I mean, you know, I don't know. It's sort of – it's something that obviously remains a problem to to this day right. in the United States and I guess with – and with law enforcement around the world, I'd say as well. There's sort of no easy solutions certainly. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I'm, I'm surprised that, that the, I, or I don't know, I guess I've got, I feel, you know, obviously feel a certain kind of way, <laughs> but I think it's interesting that there's such a hopeless take here in the magazine about it. Right. Right. Just, uh, Hey, uh, who knows? Right. Yeah. There's no like, like, listen, like, you know, these guy, these officers escaped uh, a justice or whatever. Um, or I don't know. I, I don't, I, I admit I haven't really, um, Research the Rodney King situation recently, so I can't speak authoritatively on you know right. whatever hmm. what should or shouldn't have happened. But you know, I don't know. Right. But I'm surprised there wasn't like a like a hey, we feel like an injustice was done, so we're going to put it right in the fiction of this comic book. Right. <laughs> Instead, they're like, no, listen, like, I mean, I guess, and, and I guess it's the true thing because it'd be weird if a ju- like, I, I guess Dread has taken judges out for being excessively brutal. But in the end, it's Mega City One. Like, right? Yeah. There's just not that kind of justice here. I guess I don't know. Yeah, they they were still being true to the source material, uh, but wanted to address yeah. it. Kind of like, hey, we we see what's going on in the world. Yeah, well, exactly. Who knows I if think... it's right or not? But this is what would happen in this fictional, you know, universe. Yeah, and I think having Anderson be here to have a to make that commentary, I think is a is is a decent choice of the mm-hmm. of the available characters to Mega City One. I guess. Right, right. Anyway, right. enough of this worrying about the frail minds of judges, Eli. They right. obviously can't be trusted. That's what we've learned here. Right. Oh, I should say that Anderson story seems kind of linked to the one where she fought that vampire in the Undercity I last episode. One. But I'm not I'm not sure how they're really linked besides just being stories where Anderson's feeling kind of melancholy about various situations, I guess. Mm, right. Anyway, I'm tired of judges having feelings and judgment, okay? I don't care <laughs> about that stuff. I want not a what we're new here for. I yeah, I, I need a new mech cop for New Mech City, Eli. That's what I'm trying to say. And so let's bring in Story 5 Mechanismo. Script robot John Wagner, art robot Colin McNeil, letting robot Annie Parkhouse. Oh yeah, I love this this uh, Wagner McNeil team. Like they said, actually, I guess in the editorials, is produce some excellent dread stories. I'm very excited about this one. We start with a full page image of this robot judge. Trial by machine is here for a trial by combat, but this is ridiculous. <laughs> uh, Martin. <laughs> In the recreation yard of ISO Block 37, a big truck comes bursting through the wall. It's a cube break. 
Dread's nearby. He's arresting a perp with a shirt that says, uh, 50 creds to anyone I can't kill. <laughs> like, that's written on the back of his shirt. Right. And Dredd goes, like, ties him to a catch post and goes to check out this prison break. He says, I'll be back for my 50 creds later. Because <laughs> he didn't get killed. That's what I'm trying to say. At the ISO cubes, the driver of this vehicle calls out to his brother, who he's uh, Rocky, who he's breaking out of prison, but they get shot by a judge. He dies in his brother's arms. Said, I, know, I said I'd always come get you. And his brother's like, oh, thanks, buddy. But, you know, you took a long time. I was going to get out, like, tomorrow. <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> Elsewhere perps, that's the yeah, little side thing here. Elsewhere perps are escaping into the city. Several commandeer a bus from the Lionel Blair block Elster's Glee Club. And Lionel Blair was the host of a Name That Tune in the UK. So, you know, again, funny that these are singing old, singing old people. <laughs> Um, they make the Elsters sing, be like, oh, like we gotta make it seem like everything's normal. So here the Glee Club starts singing and they sing a song about being happy that just seems to be the we're so happy over and over again or something like that. I don't know. I don't know the tune. They're real loud though, Eli. So right. Dredd has a judge go <laughs> shut him up because he's thinking about what's going on. <laughs> and when the judge walks over to the bus, the perps see him. And so a hostage situation breaks out. Dred's about to go reason with him. Like, this place is cordoned off. You're not going to get away. Just, like, surrender so we don't have to kill you, basically. Right. But instead, he's told to hold off as a hover wagon swoops in and Judge Stitch takes command. He's got, like, a goatee and very sinister tech bro kind of judge. <laughs> um, he comes out with the new Judge Unit. The machine is about a head taller than Dread, a robot man who's wearing a judge's helmet with like a badge and the shoulder eagle and shoulder pad, judge's gloves and boots and knee and shoulder and elbow pads and like the utility belt. Like he just doesn't have the jumpsuit part, but otherwise he's got all the judge accoutrement. Dread tells the robot to get back in the can and the hover wagon, but the robot analyzes the order, decides it's invalid, then tells him to stick your order. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All protocol. Stick. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's the exact. That's the official response. You know, um, Stitch kind of talks about how this whole thing's a long time coming. It's about time they've. You know, they've got these computers, Eli. We've definitely seen them out there. These artificial intelligences. And robots in Dredd's world. So why not make them judges and stuff, you know? Right. What's the worst that could happen? They've even... Yeah, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> but uh, they've even based the AI's personality on uh, the book A Judge's Comportment, which was written by Dredd. Like, he wrote... He literally wrote Ooh. the book about being a judge, and now they've based this robot on that book. Just We're calling them mechanismos, right. and they're the future of law enforcement, Eli. So, in a way, it's kind of dread son, if you kind of get metaphorical about it. Yeah, I think he'd be pretty angry if you made that comparison. Oh, yeah. But oh, I, yeah. You know, I'd definitely sent to the cubes. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of dread, apparently, in this uh, robot. So, the <laughs> mechanismo walks out to the bus, says, You creeps in there! Are you ready to die? Next time, <laughs> you bet your sweet A. 
<laughs> but yeah, fun stuff. I like this uh, introduction of this uh, of these robots. We're going to be seeing a bunch of these Mechanismo robots as time goes by over the years. Um, yeah, exciting times, especially this early introduction one. This one's this story is actually kind of a culmination of a really long running thing in Dread. Like since like the first couple months of Dread, Dread's been very anti-robot and anti-artificial <laughs> intelligence. Basically, he doesn't like these robots having feelings or emotions or being smarter than people. You know? Right. Yeah, it and kind of makes sense. Yeah, and so you could see that now that hatred of robots, when a robot um, is now coming to take his – like literally to take his place to be a, a, a judge that's based on his like way of being a judge and stuff like that. You can see that being a big uh, crisis for him. Right. For sure. So I'm really excited for this one. Yeah. But now, yeah, definitely. Listen, hey, speaking of Dredd's children and I guess the marriages thereof or something like that, I don't know. We're working <laughs> it out. <laughs> Let's talk about, or hey, you know, as always, speaking of crime and punishment, you like Story 6, Judge Hershey. Or Crimes and Misdemeanors, I should say. That's a Woody Allen movie. Uh, script robot Robbie Morrison, art robot Jousis. Letting robot Tom Frame. First time we're seeing either of these creators, Robbie Morrison or uh, Jousis, here on the podcast. Uh, Jousis is the pseudonym of Spanish artist Juan, of Spanish artist Juan Jesus Garcia. He'll stick around here for a cup of coffee, but these days he mostly does matte paintings and visual effects for movies and stuff, yeah. which is pretty cool. And Robbie Morrison's a name we'll be seeing a ton more, both here in 2000 AD. There he's probably best known for the character of Nikolai Dante in uh, 2000 AD. He's going to do a lot of uh, Shimura stuff here in the Meg, which is about a uh, Hondo City judge doing kind of samurai kind of things. Sci-fi samurai things. I'm excited. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a cool series. Or there's some ups, you know, there's some ups and downs, but I think it's going to be fun. This story though is called the Not So Merry Wives of Windsor, and just so you know, Eli, there's a lesser Shakespeare play called The Merry Wives of Windsor, spinning off the character of Falstaff to a more romantic setting. But I don't think it has anything to do with this story. Okay. Um, <laughs> at a. Just giving you this, giving you the background. You know, people would be, people would tell me, would would be emailing me, being like, "Hey, just so you know, the name of this story comes from this." If I don't, if if, right. if I didn't say it, so right. I'm just trying to try to fill your brain with the same useless information <laughs> that my brain's full of. You know, everyone's got to have We're it. We're together. Yeah, at a cathedral, Nega City One, uh, Malcolm Witherspoon Windsor, an intercolony transit pilot, is getting married, but has a heart attack. Just he says, "I do." And the elephant in the room for this whole story here is that uh, the character of Malcolm looks just like director, writer, actor, etc., uh, Woody Allen. And it's a weird time for Woody Allen, Eli. This is another one, I guess, kind of like the uh, like where Rodney, D where Rooney Ding is sort of a fast follow on a story in the headlines. My understanding is that at this point in fall of 1992, as this comic's coming out, it's also right as the details of Alan's 
romantic relationship with his adopted daughter Soon Yi Previn are becoming public mm. and being the subject of late night joke, yeah. late night uh, talk show host jokes and things like that right. for the rest of time, basically. Mm-hmm. Sort of because, like, I feel like when this story was was commissioned and the art was done, would having this character be Woody Allen was funny for one reason, just because mm-hmm. he's kind of a it's a funny celebrity cameo, and mm-hmm. you know he's been in a movie called Husbands and Wives and a couple of things like that. Right. But now it's funny for a different reason because right. <laughs> he's this guy that's like sort of yeah history famous for for philandering on his right. wife and other things history, like that. History kind of paints a different color on it yeah indeed and it's one that's sort of changed even more as time goes by and details emerge of him not being a very good guy at all in the course of this sort of thing but that's something we don't you know again i don't want to speak i don't want to speak with a lot of like like i've got a lot of knowledge on this topic right just things that i've heard and we should keep going uh, <laughs> On the way to the hospital after the heart attack, Windsor's ambulance crashed and reports of it, including his face, were broadcast on the news. Just for a moment. At the hospital, Malcolm and his wife, Regina, are burst in on by a muscly southern blonde lady and then a punk chick with red hair and another lady and another. And soon there's like a dozen ladies crammed around his hospital bed, all seemingly married to him. He's got like a dozen wives. Got so many wives. Meanwhile, Judge Hershey is at the same hospital getting a Nazi perp extracted from a, a toilet commode that he fell in while she was while she was chasing him. When a nurse comes in, there's trouble because it seems these wives have had enough of everything and have started brawling or maybe trying to kill Windsor as well. That blonde, the uh, the muscly blonde one from the start, that was the first to show up, grabs a scalpel from a nearby operating tray. Oh, no. And go, goes to remove the root of the problem, a.k.a. Malcolm's junk, and just he can't, <laughs> for the record, he can't get out of the way because his legs have been broken, Ooh. and Oof. they're in casts and those things that, like, lift your legs up off the ground when you're in a hospital mm-hmm. bed. You know what I'm talking about, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, keep it um, exactly. <laughs> anyway, then Hershey shows up, but the wives have formed um, into a team and they go to swarm <laughs> Hershey. But just for a second, because like she's super tough, buddy. She takes these guys out right. like right away. She punts the blonde one, which knocks off her wig. We learn that she's cute bald. It's a cue ball just for extra jokes here. All the wives are arrested. We learn that there's at least another 40 also still on their way to the hospital, but stuck in traffic getting there. <laughs> Windsor gets charged with bigamy, incitement to riot, and Hershey theorizes probably any number of financial crimes mm-hmm. based on all these ladies married and stuff like that. Right. But Windsor said he never stole from his wives, Eli. He's just got a lot of love to give and falls in love and proposes to any woman he meets. <laughs> in fact, he can't help but notice Judge Hershey's beautiful eyes and seems to be about to uh, propose to her as well when she sends him to the cubes. <laughs> She's made of sterner stuff. <laughs> she says it's the seven-year itch for Windsor in the ISO cubes. Because a seven-year itch is uh, whatever. It's a thing where like a, after seven years, a married man – that's when a married man feels the need to 
go cheating or something right, like that. Right. Especially if Marilyn Monroe is involved. It's a whole thing. Oh, yeah. Um, anyway. <laughs> anyway, Windsor's there in prison. He's still got his legs in cast and holding the wig of that one wife of his. His cell's <laughs> covered in pictures of all of his wives and Judge Hershey as well. <laughs> the end. Oh, man. It's just this little little fun one here. Mega City Madness. Absolutely. Yeah. That is fun. And wacky. I like that one a lot. Yeah. Yeah, good times. But so with that, Eli, I must know, what were your top and bottom thrills for issues 11, uh, 11 and 12 of the Judge Red Magazine, Volume 2? Hmm. Let me see. Uh, yeah, it was 11 and 12. Okay, just ma- making sure. I, I don't know. It could be um, me being biased about just having read that last one. But I think that's my top one. It was very funny, nice. very futuristic. Very wacky and colorful, which uh, I like all that. Yeah, I really like um, this artist's uh, uh, painted st- art, art style here. Mm-hmm. Like, especially there's a couple really nice, like, like close-ups of, of Judge Hershey, especially right at the end that I think is really amazing. Yeah, very, yeah, very detailed, very colorful. Um, uses colors to create contrast and depth really well. Uh, <clears throat> and yeah, the artist, even the paneling had to be really good in order to create... Uh, um, control this chaotic event that's happening, you know, just uh, a dozen ladies of different, uh, you know, size, shapes, colors right. just coming yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, so much yeah, <laughs> variety between these different wives and stuff, which is pretty fun as well, right. definitely. Yeah, uh, so I'd say that's my first top. Uh, and I think I'm going to put Armitage on my bottom, actually. Um, I feel like they're still setting up, which, you know, this would be expected, mm-hmm. but it just, uh, no, it's just usual. I'll go over here. Mystery. Uh, go over there. Mystery. Uh, mm-hmm. It was fun learning about you know like the the breadcrumbs that they are leading. You know like oh let's go to Armitage's office and who's this blonde lady and like who's that guy and uh, nice try you know like so they're setting setting up really interesting but they just haven't done anything that is like uh, compelling yet. Right. Um, I also want to put a. Uh, machismo on the top as well i don't think that's that's not what it's called it's a uh yeah yeah mechanism yeah mechanismo. That, that story i want to put that on top as well even though that makes me a hypocrite because they also are just doing setup but I, mm. I find myself very interested and it could be due to you explaining kind of uh you know like hey oh, just some of the backstory with the robot yeah. stuff. yeah yeah I, I i i know what you mean for sure yeah so i'm like oh ooh, this this could get good cool yeah for me um i might join you with armitage on my bottom on on in 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 the bottom for me um just uh yeah i mean say actually no actually no i I think i might put anderson in the bottom for this one with this uh uh rudy ding story i guess (laughs) it seems like a very controversial story for them to not have an opinion about it Ah, i guess i hadn't thought of that Uh, like I actually forgot I mean, about it. <laughs> we talked because, so much about it. Because a lot of it – because like this doing stuff that's based on real events happening isn't a, a standard thing for 2000 AD or the, or the magazine. Like I don't think I can really think of a lot of stories where I can point to a, a, new, a new story or series of stories – 
that are basically that are that a dread story is directly commentating on, mm-hmm. you know, right? Um, as opposed to maybe things that are maybe more more general, like you know, I mean, you you could certainly talk about like the character of Judge Cow, which was this judge that was a brutal dictator and or an, an insane dictator, and then maybe talk about how that might be similar to like a UK Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher or something. That's certainly a very popular topic of comics. In the early 80s and in the late 70s, early 80s and stuff Mm. like that. But I think so much of like Judge Cal is also based on the historical character of Caligula, for instance. That's Mm -hmm. not a one-to-one. Whereas this story is very much a one-to-one with um, Rodney King. And so to do that and then to just say like, oh, that's the Justice Department. I'm Judge Anderson. What am I going to do? Like, I don't know. I absolutely agree with that. I hadn't hadn't actually thought about it, but you're right that it doesn't have any like creative spin or anything and it's not trying to make a point. It's pretty much just just, this happened and we're saying it's going. It's it's going to ride a controversial horse, but then not taking, not riding it any place, basically, I guess. And so it just sort of becomes shock for its own sake or something. I'm not I'm not a huge fan of that. I, I sort of I like these stories to be a little bit more universal, I, I guess. I could totally see that. I was having a lot of trouble actually putting things on bottom, but I, I'd agree with that. That uh uh it's Yeah, I mean I think otherwise most of the stuff's pretty non offensive or is like decent to not is not bad to decent in the course mm-hmm. of this um episode. Right. And I, I think what but you yeah. what you said, I think that's why I didn't even think of this story. Because it didn't read as Judge Dredd to me. It was kind of just like mm. current events. Hey, did you, yeah. did you see the news? This happened. All right. Back to kind of, yeah. our thing. And I think this this might be something that might maybe might even just be a little different just like with our respective ages or something like that. Because mm. I really remember like the the trial and then the riots and stuff like that. when I When I was a kid, it's something that sort of. I don't know. Stands out in my memory, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, and so, but yes, yeah, so I'd say that's the yeah Anderson for my bottom for this one, and then for my top, hmm, I don't know. Taking the sector one, two, three was fine, but very I don't know. Feel like kind of standard dread story almost. Um, um, liking Calhab Justice, but I don't know. It's just sort of it, it feels like like kind of a mid level story for me, I guess, or I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm still waiting for it to really kind of blow me away, I guess. And same right. with Armitage, like you said, it's very much still in the setup phase. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought Judge Hershey was fun, but again, just sort of a fun little Mega City One thing. So I might end up putting Mechanismo in my top as well. Um, All like right. a like a like you know so. It, Mostly just because, um, yeah, I've got a lot coming into with these ro- with Dred's past experience with robots, so it's got a lot of extra weight. Where I see these two, you know, where I see Dred staring down a robot version of himself, and I'm, <laughs> it's got a lot of extra meaning to me that I'm looking at. I'm like, yeah, let's go, let him fight, that kind of stuff. <laughs> I think it's very exciting. <laughs> yeah, so th- those, are, I, I think that's how I, how it breaks down for me. Nice. All right. Cool. All right. I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Big Meg One on iTunes, Stitch, or the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site at BigMegOne.com. Feel free to contact us at BigMegOne at gmail.com. The 2080 forums 
or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. For all those, check out Big Meg One with one written out, and you'll find us there. And feel free to drop us a rating or review wherever you listen to us or suggest us if someone's looking for a cool podcast to listen to. It'll be a good time. This show is brought to you by Steve Green, Robert Hardinghands, Aim Kitbiller, and your friends at the 2080 Forums. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd appreciate it. Please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Cradline. That's our podcast network. There you can support the show and receive a ton of excellent rewards, including advanced episodes, coverage of modern 2080 in the magazine, and even monthly Q&As with uh, Fox from Space Spinner and myself. And then, come back next time, Eli. <laughs> As things start getting dark for Armitage, we'll reach the climax of Cal Have Justice. Johnny Biker returns to torment Judge Dredd, and we'll have more stories about Judge Anderson, Judge Hershey, and of course, Mechanismo. <laughs> and until then, I'm Conrad there, Eli, and we are Big Mac One. Drop it. <laughs> <laughs>